The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. In order to thrive in today's competitive business market, you need to constantly adapt to change. In other words, reinvent yourself and your company. Welcome to Business Reinvention with host Nancy Lynn. This hour will have you listening to and thinking like the successful business leaders of today. Now, here is your host, Nancy Lynn. Hi, I'm Nancy Lynn. Welcome to the Business Reinvention Show, where we bring you thought-provoking ideas from different industries so that you can connect the dots and stay innovative and competitive. Well, thanks so much for tuning in. Today, we're going to take a quick tour to the future by looking at the new developments in the robotics industry. Last year, Amazon spent close to $800 million on robots for its distribution centers, a very huge investment, um, a huge amount. Um, and according to a new report by J.P. Morgan's Chase, um, half of nation's general surgeons plan to add robotic systems within the next two years. And that's despite of um, FDA's investigation into injuries associated with robotic surgeries. Robots um, are definitely getting better and um, also becoming more flexible and more affordable. A good example is Baxter, which was in the news for quite a bit earlier this year. The industrial robot has some um, adapted skills and can be programmed in just a few minutes by almost anybody to accomplish new tasks instead of doing the same function over and over again like the old robots used to do. So we are seeing a lot of advancements in this area. Um, and Google scientist Ray Griswell even predicts that within 90 years, biological parts of human body will be replaced by machines. Yep, that's exactly what he said. Um, and according to him, the non-biological part um, of the machine or the machine part will be so powerful that it will completely understand and model the biological part. Sounds like science fiction, or is it? And should we be worried or excited about the possibility? What are other developments in robotics industry that we should know about? Well, we have two experts join us today to discuss the implications and opportunities for businesses. Charlie Dunchin is the CEO and co-founder of Grabic Inc., an industrial automation and material handling solutions company. And also with us today is Richard Mahoning, the Director of Robotics Program at SRI International. Charlie and Rich, welcome to the show. It's great to have both of you here. Um, well, I thought the good start might be to kind of take a quick look at what happened in the last 20 years in the robotic industry. Um, well, Charlie, um, I'll start with you first. Um, what would you say are the two or three most significant breakthroughs that have helped build the foundation for robotics industries? In uh, like the last 20 years, Nancy? Yeah, let's focus on the last 20 years. Sure. Yeah, robotics have been around since the 60s as far as just pick-and-place mechanical devices. But um, 
I think uh, the main developments in the last 20 years, um, one was the uh, integration of machine vision with robotics, and that became more prevalent in the 80s. And uh, suddenly robots uh, who had heretofore been blind, pick-and-place devices, had the ability to see parts and, uh, and use vision for guidance on how to handle those parts. I think um, then in the 90s and early 2000s, I just think the um, overall software uh, developments uh, were key to expanding uh, the capability of robotics. Software both in the integration of sensing um, and tightly integrated sensing and robot motion, but also just software to make the robots more easy to use. Um, mm. so I, th- I think those were, in my mind, those were two uh, big impact developments in that 20-year period. Which mm. what do you think? So, so definitely, if you look at uh, our careers, I think Charlie is definitely speaking from uh, firsthand experience, and he was one of the people that was uh, introducing those innovations into practical applications. So I think um, that, that that's really the, the combination of the kinds of um, technology uh, um, synergies that Charlie's describing. Uh, all, what also was occurring was just a maturing of the application space um, during that time, and, and I think the big thing to highlight is that the, this, these were primarily robots um, over the last 20 years that were working in secluded areas in factories, um, doing sort of high-speed uh, or otherwise dangerous tasks without any people around. So, the, so I think the, it was the maturing of these um, manipulation solutions with those technologies, but it was also in combination with uh, manufacturing kinds of applications like in the auto industry, uh, for example. So in that, you know, in that same 20-year period, a little bit later, you started to see things like the, um, the Da Vinci robot, and, and you started to see some other kinds of automation as far as the integration of sensors and computing into other medical devices. Um, uh, you know, some people would, would call a home printer a form of robot. Um, so I think th- there's also this idea that robots aren't just um, what you see in factories but are really a, a set of technologies that are out there and being applied in, in lots of different ways. It's a, you know, more and more I'm seeing it as a, as a continuum um, and not just a, a separate specific kind of, of robot technology. Mm, that's a very interesting point. I think just yesterday they were talking about self-driving cars and how they could actually see where the cars are coming and everything. I guess that's part of the um, integration uh, of the robotic technology, I would think. Um, so so what are some of the new applications coming out now that really excite you that you think would have the biggest um, potential impact, um, which why don't you continue? Yeah, so, so kind of continuing on that same thought, uh, one, of the, one of the things that uh, so I've been working in um, kind of early stage robotics, robotic, robotics R&D for most of my career, and um, the thing that's kind of um, emerging for me is this idea that robots, are, it's not really about robots, it's about this um, technology continuum. And if you look at the what's happening now, we're transitioning from these factory-based robots uh, that, you know, robots in cages away from people to robots that are more, um, they're, they're more accessible and safer and working close to people. Um, but what's interesting is that the idea of what a robot is is also evolving at the same time. So um, there is 
there's um, an interesting news story uh, a few months ago that was done by 60 Minutes, and one of the things that they uh, were saying was that the um, kiosks uh, in airports, they actually called them robot kiosks, and um, that you know, it was the first time in my, my entire career I ever heard a kiosk referred to as a robotic kiosk, but um, I, and you know, after being a little bit offended at first, I, I kind of uh, came to like that idea and that if uh, a kiosk in an airport is a robot, then the cell phones and the PDAs that we have in our pocket are also a form of robot. And if you look at the technology that's in um, a cell phone now, as far as the software, the, the uh, localization technology accelerometers, um, you know, almost 100% of what's in your phone is also part of what's in robot systems. So I think the big um, transition that's occurring now is that the what is, you know, long-time considered robotics technology is actually um, also very much a part of this um, uh, consumer electronics uh, uh, market as well, and that, that those technologies now form the basis of an emerging robotics, uh, personal robotics market, which is a lot more accessible. So, so if I, what I look at as being really exciting is the fact that, you know, if we start, we add a little mobility, we add a little um, low-cost manipulation to the already existing base of component technologies that are part of this consumer electronics uh, area that you suddenly have the ability to really rapidly expand the overall number of applications um, that are out there, kind of like what happened with the computer industry in the 80s. I think there's the potential for a similar thing to happen uh, with robotics, uh, maybe starting in the next three or four years or so. Mm, that's a great way to look at it. I guess artificial intelligence, like you said, has really become every part of our lives. Um, and, and Charlie, I know you're also working on something very exciting. In fact, your company just received new funding and Nike is now a strategic partner for you. So what's unique about the technology that you're working on that's catching investors' attention? Well, yeah, let me first say uh, re- um, I'd like to agree with what Rich said, that the exciting thing about robotics is the whole cost of implementation is drastically going down, and uh, in part in due to what's going on in the consumer electronics world and some of that technology simply transforming over to robots. You know, robots are going to be able to operate in the cloud and not have to carry disk drives around with them. And uh, so it's very, I think, uh, very exciting how, it's um, just uh, lowering the cost of robotics, uh, both the cost of the robot itself and the cost of the robot system, as we see with Baxter, which doesn't require all the safety uh, features and cages and sensors for safety reasons. Uh, they can work side by side with people. Um, having said all that, there's still been this constraint in robotics uh, on the gripper side. Uh, for many, many years, um, People have always uh, envisioned the human hand being replicated at the end of a robot arm, and uh, we've just never been able to do that. Uh, the human hand is an incredible mechanical, so to speak, a device um, that can um, uh, grasp virtually any um, any product that uh, the human body has the capability of lifting, uh, combined with human vision. Well, the robots got the vision, but uh, they've never really gotten that. Uh, dexterity, they've never really gotten the hand um, mm. um, features. Um, and so what has limited robot implementation, both from a cost perspective and a flexibility perspective, is that grippers have tended to be part-specific. You know, if you're picking up a bottle, it's a gripper that is shaped or to grab around a bottle. If you're picking up a wire, it's a gripper that's, um, you know, shaped to pick up um, a strand of wire. 
two totally different grippers. Um, what we're doing uh, at Drabit is introducing a technology that was actually um, developed in the SRI labs uh, called electroadhesion. Electroadhesion is the ability of taking electrostatic forces and putting them on the surface, in essence, of any type of gripper or conveyor or fixture. And this um, introduces incredible flexibility. Imagine now you have a gripping device uh, that has electrostatic uh, forces on throughout the surface of that gripper. Uh, you're now attaching to virtually any material, electrostatic force. And by the way, Nancy, this is the same thing when you rub a balloon on your sweater and it sticks to your hair. That's electrostatic force. And we, we are controlling that force very, very uh, accurately at various levels, and it, and it literally sticks to any materials. And so we think at Grabit that uh, as, as far as robotics implementation, this introduces a disruptive uh, flexibility that the industry's been uh, looking for for decades. Hmm. Well, I love that visual of, you know, a, a, a robot that can see and combine that with versatility of human hand. That's very, very powerful. Um, I'm just curious, how did you, um, I guess, how did the idea come to you? Uh, I, I mean, how did you decide to use this particular technology and realize that it could be applied to this particular purpose? Well, a lot of this was actually done in the SRI labs. SRI had experience uh, working with flexible circuits on polymer-type materials, and so that's where the uh, original um, technology was developed. I had worked with SRI actually on another program earlier, and they asked me to come in um, and and take a look at the technology and see uh, you know where the markets were. And in fact, it was developed in Rich's robotics um, labs there, so um, they already. You know, had in mind this could potentially be a, a robot gripping technology, but the way the SRI process works is they, they bring out they or they uh, bring in a veteran from the industry, and um, in this case it was me. I looked at uh, the applications, uh, did connections with my uh, friends in the industry, and it didn't take long to see this had a, uh, a tremendous uh, potential impact for robot grippers. I should also add though that we also are using the same technology for fixtures and for smart belt conveyors. Mm, very interesting. Well, there's so much more to talk about, but first let's take a quick break. Uh, I want to remind the audience that um, some of all podcasts from this program are now available for sale, and your contribution will help support the continued production of the insightful discussion like the one we're having today. So please go to bizreinvention.com to make a contribution, and we'll continue with this conversation after these messages. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. In today's marketplace, your ability to open up the way you think and adapt to change allows your business to stay ahead of curve and perform at a higher level. At Change Agent SF, we can provide you with the tools and coaching to become an effective leader to grow your business. Contact us today at 415-322-9073 or email Nancy Lynn at info at changeagentsf.com for more information. Transform your leadership and business with Change Agent SF. Game-changing technologies are transformational, exciting, and disruptive for a reason. They shake up the status quo. They get you thinking about new ways to scale, compete, and grow. 
They move you in amazing new directions. You're invited to take a coffee break with Game Changers on Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time for our special series on today's top big data innovators. Learn about emerging big trends and technologies and how you can grow your business and profit. Startup Focus with Game Changers, presented by SAP on the Business Channel. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Business Reinvention with Nancy Lynn. To join in on this week's discussion, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to Business Reinvention. So, Charlie, before the break, we were talking about your new technology um, and about robots with better gripping hands. Um, but tell us exactly how good a gripping power are we talking about here? Um, and maybe you can give us some examples of a potential commercial applications for your technology. Sure. Our um, gripping capability is a direct um, result of how much contact surface we can have on a part. And so if you can, one of our early applications was handling uh, boxes and cases in distribution centers and Internet fulfillment centers. That's one of our early uh, successful prototype programs. So if you can imagine two very thin, we call them blades, uh, blades that uh, the mobile robot moves uh, alongside the sides of boxes, allowing these boxes to be stored now very close to each other. Uh, All the blades have to do is make contact with the box. We turn the voltage on. Um, We then deposit opposite charge on the surface of those boxes, and we can pick up or slide the boxes out onto the robot surface. Uh, The robot surface itself can have this electroadhesion what we call flexible fixture on it, which allows the robot to move very quickly and take that box down to the pack-out area where parts are then um, extracted from the box and um, put in uh, shipment containers to the Internet purchaser. So that's one of the first places that we got started. But we do see in the future um, uh, even stronger potential in that um, logistics space in what's called each picking. And so with each picking, if you can imagine let's say six very thin uh, fingers um, that can um, reach into a box and then uh, by turning on voltage, those fingers conform to the shape uh, that's in that box, the part that we want to pick up, can pick up that part and ship it to the pack-out station. Um, So that's um, kind of an example of something that we see in each picking that's uh, frankly even a larger market opportunity than case and box handling. Okay, so I'm going to stop you here, uh, and I just want to make sure I understand this correctly. You're saying that it it, it actually works, uh, I guess its power, its ability depends on how big the surface is. So are you saying that the bigger the surface, the easier it is for the robot to pick up? So then does that mean then if you you still can't tell the robot to, I guess, you know, um, create a diamond or something like that tiny is that kind of what you mean by that or do you mean it's really the weight that it has to carry that determines whether or not it's capable of doing that no it is a combination of surface and weight and i can tell you we are not going to be lifting engine blocks (laughs) 
you know, we're not going to be um, lifting um, very large um, three-dimensional heavy products. But um, in general, when we look at product in the um, fulfillment centers, if uh, humans are able to lift it and move it, we typically uh, can do it as well, um, at least by the current designs uh, and current capabilities of the technology. Um, but, you know, that's, that's okay because when people look at automation, um, uh, I think realistic um, folks never look at the lights-out factory. They know that that's a myth. There's always going to be manual handling. There's going to be robotic handling. And uh, we think that we can cover, you know, a very high percentage of the SKUs uh, that are in uh, these distribution centers and these fulfillment centers by virtue of being having sufficient contact surface that we can grip and then being within that weight uh, force capability of our technology. Mm. Well, Rich, what do you think about this technology? What new possibilities do you see? Um, so, so I definitely think it's excellent since it was uh, it was developed here, and just seeing the um, it spin out, and uh, you know, from from our point of view, the our, our technologies get demonstrated in our lab, and we we validate them at a first level through some of the contracts that we that we have um, with our customers. But the real validation is when we we do. Um, um, set up the company to spin out and um, and receiving that uh, venture investment. So I think um, from overall, it's just really exciting to see this technology that that does have really broad um, um, application get funded. And and you know the thing that Charlie has done extremely well. It was understated when what he said, but just getting in front of all of his industry contacts and having them saying that this really is a, a difference maker, uh, and and the reason is because it's doing things that other technologies can't do. So um, another another way to think about it is uh, think about uh, the use of vacuum grippers for uh, moving um, objects around. So because of the way vacuum works, you need a, a special kind of surface. You need a a clear area for the vacuum pressure to be able to be applied to lift something. Um, and with uh, the electro-adhesive pads, you you don't need that. You you actually just can lay the pad across the surface, and it doesn't matter if it's a circuit board with holes in it or um, a cardboard box, and the same pad can pick up that box and pick up the the circuit board, but that's not necessarily true of a, of a vacuum gripper, for instance. And so... So being able to to create a more flexible alternative to vacuum grippers um, is another opportunity. And then related to that is is that the um, it's it's a relatively inexpensive technology to operate. The the materials themselves are not tremendously expensive. The the power requirement because of the nature of electrostatic uh, uh, charges it's a, a very very low uh, power. Uh, consumption on the order of three three orders of magnitude less power than what is required from uh, vacuum grippers. So there's no compressor, so you don't have the cost of the compressor. There's no uh, tubes and um, and there's no, there's no noise at all. So there's just many advantages um, uh, for that kind of application. I, I also I look at the the advantages that Charlie was describing. I I think about the impact on the logistics market and, and part of the drivers there are that there's an um, uh, Amazon and Google and these companies are looking to deliver products 
in you know same day or within several hours in city regions and so they're locating these warehouses in areas that are closer to cities and therefore have much higher rents associated with them than than what's typical for large warehouses so this technology the combinations that that Charlie's describing as far as being able to pack things more tightly that means you can get more boxes in the same area so you're you either can get more into the same space or you can use a smaller space and that at the, the end of the day that saves millions of dollars a year and then the the conveyance systems are um, also allowing you to move items much more quickly and and then at the bottom line I feel like it's kind of like um, similar to a hard drive on a computer you're trying to get faster access to to your information and also pack that information um, at a higher density. And this is doing for warehousing what, um, uh, yeah, I don't know what the comparable technology is, but with the same drivers of higher speed processing and higher capacity storage that people try to get for their, their hard drives on their computers. Well, so Charlie King, we also potentially see maybe robots collecting Garbage or maybe folding towels for, um, say, hotels? Is that something doable um, in the future? Well, I think there was a DARPA program um, or a a federal-funded program for um, garment folding robots. Um, Certainly, garment handling is excellent for our technology. uh, Rich mentioned the problems with vacuum. They take up space. They use kilowatts of power versus we use a few watts of power. And then many of the fabric uh, that you want to handle is porous. So vacuum uh, doesn't work on porous fabric. Um, mechanical uh, grippers are uh, extremely difficult with with loose uh, fabric. And so uh, I think with the uh, introduction now of our technology, and, and we do have some early textile customers who are quite happy with the early results, you know, that then we can become the gripper that allows these kind of applications to be done. Um, it's interesting you mentioned uh, garbage handling. One of the areas that we had some strong interest, and in, I consider it further down our roadmap, is in the recycle plants. Um, you know, it used to be we did our own recycling at curbside. We put our cans in one uh, container, papers in another, plastic in another, and now, of course, we just dump it all together and then, uh, it gets delivered to these recycling plants where um, some of the worst jobs, I think, in the uh, in the workforce are the people on these lines reaching in and separating these products out. The interesting thing about electroadhesion technology is it can be a discriminating technology. Different electroadhesion materials at different voltages can attract and adhere to different parts. So we think there's potential here where at one station we can be adhering to um, aluminum cans at another station, to uh, paper at a, another station, to plastic, and automate that uh, ugly task that's out there now of, um, of separating these parts at recycling plants. Mm, wow. So, when you mention um, aluminum cans, I think of, well, I guess potentially we could have robotic bartender. <laughs> that sounds like a possibility now. Um, <laughs> Uh, well, Rich, um, of course, this is a very exciting field, but obviously it's not without challenges. And, and I think you mentioned at one of the meetings um, that we were together at and that development of robotics um, exceeds adoption. Um, what do you mean by that? And um, what questions do you scientists should ask themselves when they're thinking about the product development strategy to close that gap? So, so I'm sorry, can you just rephrase the I'm not sure I fully heard the question. 
Um, so, do you think that the development of um, robotics exceeds adoption? Because um, right now we're hearing all kinds of different um, robotic um, ideas out there. Um, what do you think about the adoption rate right okay, now? So, yeah, I understand. And, uh, yeah, it's a good question. And I think, you know, robotics has at some level, um, it, it suffers from um, sort of high expectations or, or lofty promises for several decades now. And um, that's not helped uh, by the fact that it also has this sort of media um, mainstream public uh, view as well, where pe- you know, from a science fiction perspective, there's been a robots have been around for uh, longer than the 60s, and there's there's this expectation that at some point they'll they will be pervasive and and um, helping us in in lots of different kinds of applications. Um, I I do think that there, you know, what the the trends that I see happening now, I think there are, uh, continue this parallel that I described earlier with the computer, uh, personal computer market. And what really happened with personal computers is, is it started with larger computers um, that were government funded and work, worked on really um, narrow kinds of tasks, but they were large mainframes. And then there was this period of um, more industrial applications of robotics where they were sort of smaller, more accessible, but they're still kind of big. But there was this phase of business-to-business kinds of applications. There were companies that were building computers that were solving um, problems for businesses and still some government applications. And I think we're, we're sort of in that phase now, in the early phases for robotics, where we're seeing this transition from the sort of large uh, um, industrial kinds of applications of robots, which which are kind of a um, business-to-business kind of application, but there's emerging um, a number of uh, robotics companies that are solving problems for markets for other businesses, so like agricultural applications, for instance. And there's absolutely an increase in activity right now in those kinds of, of solutions um, but in general, it's not as much activity as you might think or that, that people expect. There's just something about robotics that, um, that, that draws people's attention. And so I would say there's, there's more going on, um, but it's, it's limited at some level by just how complex robotics are. And, and you know, Charlie's just experiencing this firsthand, um, showing that there is a valid company for, uh, you know, a technology, exciting technology for, like, electroadhesion. Um, you know, that, that was a lot of hard work and, and showing that there's a real business solution there. And Charlie's, you know, one of the most experienced uh, robotics uh, professionals around uh, in terms of what he's accomplished in the industry. The, at some level, robotics, I, I often say this, that the key to robotics uh, at some level is really people, not the robotics technology. And we need more people that not only understand the technology and can invent and innovate, but also people that understand the business side of it, um, and given the, the high cost of a robotic solution, you know, this hard, hardware solution, relatively speaking, um, as compared to uh, mobile applications and other kinds of software solutions, I think it does um, take a little bit longer. I, I think one of the things that's happening, though, is that in this current, you know, continuing the, the parallel, what, what did happen as computer technology became more accessible, there was this entrepreneurial class of computer hobbyists who then began to drive the, uh, the, the personal computer revolution. And 
I think we're at the early stages also of a similar kind of um, revolution where there is a strong base of um, robotics hobbyists, and we're seeing um, robotics technology become accessible. And uh, there, I, I think it's really just a matter of a few years before we start to see that entrepreneurial class of robotic hobbyists who begin to drive uh, uh, the personal uh, robot revolution. And a, Great. And a, Great. An early example of that is things like these telepresence robots, the, the mobile bases that are basically mobile uh, teleconferencing. And you'll see if you do search on the Internet, there's probably 10 or 12 companies that are marketing those kinds of solutions. And what I think is interesting about that is that all of that technology is very accessible. So you know, most um, reasonably cha- trained roboticists and a ton of hobbyists could go out and buy the components for a few thousand dollars to build their own you know, uh, uh, mobile Skyping workstation that, that, uh, because all of that component technology is, is really available because of the personal computing market and, uh, and, and the Internet. But the, the reason they're not more pervasive or none of those companies yet have really demonstrated the strong business case or the business solution. So it's, we're kind of seeing that the technology is there, but we need more people to continue to validate the, the business side of those uh, kinds of applications. Well, Charlie, I'm going to get your input um, on this as well. But first, let's take another break. For more information about business innovation, follow me on Twitter at BizReInvention or go to BizReInvention.com. We'll be back in two minutes. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. In today's marketplace, your ability to open up the way you think and adapt to change allows your business to stay ahead of curve and perform at a higher level. At Change Agent SF, we can provide you with the tools and coaching to become an effective leader to grow your business. Contact us today at 415-322-9073 or email Nancy Lind at info at changeagentsf.com for more information. Transform your leadership and business with Change Agent SF. How can we Americans realize our dreams to earn a living? How can you pursue your dream and make money as an owner or an employee? Learn how at The American Business Person, the online weekly radio talk show hosted by Rich Killian. Today's business leaders share how to succeed and what fails. If you own a new or established business or ever hope to, you must tune in. Join us every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Central, and noon Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Or listen on demand to our archived shows. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Business Reinvention with Nancy Lynn. To join in on this week's discussion, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to Business Reinvention. Reinvention. 
Well, before the break, we were talking about how um, cost um, can be an issue uh, for adoption of robots. Um, Charlie, I would like to get your um, comment on this as well. Is there any new technology on the horizon that you think will help accelerate the reduction of cost um, for robots? Well, you know, we mentioned earlier uh, robots being able to take advantage of the cloud like uh, other computer technology. Right. And we've certainly um, talked about our company's grippers. And as Rich uh, um, said, uh, this is significant. This is polymer. You know, this is cheap polymer, uh, flexible circuits on polymer, and uh, significant cost reduction from these big mechanical or vacuum grippers. And I, I th- but again, the big cost savings is that same gripper can grip a lot of different parts versus having robots with quick, what's called quick change stations where they literally switch hands. And so you're buying a hand for every part you're handling. It's just not practical. So we think that we can make a big impact on grippers. Machine vision continues to come down in cost. Um, when I was uh, first involved with machine vision in the uh, mid to late 80s, we were selling uh, vision as $25,000 options to a $50,000 robot. And um, that you know that's uh, that was a tough sale, um, but that's what the cost of the technology is. And vision systems now are continuing to not only come down in cost but expanding in capability. More and more three-dimensional vision systems are showing up on the marketplace, where you know the robot can not only see the part but know the distance uh, from its location. Um, and I think that the other thing that's uh, that's um, reducing cost is the implementation of robot. Uh, or the cost of implementing robots. And we mentioned Baxter earlier. There are other companies as well, um, companies uh, like Universal Robotics, like Precision Automation, uh, Precise Automation, who are building robots that uh, can work side by side. They're called collaborative robots that pose no danger to human workers. This reduces cost in two ways. We don't have to put up the expensive cages, uh, the pressurized floor mats, all the uh, sensors, uh, secondly, the robot can be picked up and moved very quickly to new stations, giving it uh, much more flexibility. So what, what encourages uh, me as far as robotics right now, Nancy, is we've got all these developments on the technology side, lowering the cost of robotics. And then on the user side, uh, alternatives to robots are only getting more expensive. I think uh, perhaps most interesting is what's going on in China and some of the Asian markets now, where... The, uh, even the China uh, labor rates uh, are rising significantly. Uh, the yuan is now being able to rise in value against the dollar in, in currency value. Um, I think uh, it was very interesting to hear Foxconn, uh, the CEO, uh, Terry, who at Foxconn announced that uh, they're going to be implementing a million, he calls it his million robot army, a million robots in the next few years uh, to take away um, to, to replace these mundane jobs that unfortunately even led to suicides at Foxconn. Mm. So there's both the social cost to um, some of these mundane labor tasks as well as an economic cost. And um, mm. I think the combination of, of both of these coming at it from two different angles uh, bodes very well for the robotics industries in the next two to five years. It's interesting that you mentioned uh, China because some people argue that we need to bring manufacturing back to the U.S. with the help of automation before China develops its own robotic industry. So how much of an advantage do we have right now compared to China or any other country in terms of robotics, Charlie? Well, yeah, it's interesting. Robotics technology started in the U.S. 
And as Rich uh, said, I think the development side of robotics is is growing much faster here than anyone else, and even among the hobbyists and so forth. So I think that um, we today uh, we have we still have a very strong core competency in robotics technology. What's going on at MIT, Carnegie Mellon, Stanford, Purdue, and so forth. Um, but uh, you raise a good point. Uh, the Chinese are graduating much, much, many, many more engineers than what we graduate in this country. And in China, they don't mind being industrial engineers and working in manufacturing. And so it does pose a threat. Um, I think, though, that um, uh, I, I believe the pendulum is swinging back uh, toward the U.S. And I, I think a lot of people have to understand that um, U.S. manufacturers can make two choices. They can make their product in China or they can build automated plants. And again, they're never 100% automated, but uh, highly automated plants in the U.S., in Canada, in Europe. And uh, in doing so, they're creating jobs. Um, one thing that um, I think is very interesting, is at RIA, we collect very detailed statistics on robot shipments. And we've had periods of time in the U.S. where robot shipments had very strong growth years. Um, it happened in the uh, 80s. It happened again uh, in the 90s. And it's starting to happen again right now, um, starting in 2012. And then if you look at the National Labor uh, Board statistics, uh, you'll see a corresponding increase in manufacturing jobs that directly align with those same years that we had robot shipment uh, growth. And so mm, that's very interesting. Strong mm-hmm. correlation between robot automation and, frankly, creating jobs. That's very interesting, uh, Rich, because that's kind of contrary to um, some of the arguments um, that the media has, and that is that um, the more robots we have, the more job loss we will see. Um, do you ever concern about the human impact, and what's your perspective on this? Yeah, I actually, I mean, it is, um, it's just one of those things when you work in robotics, it is a, um, it's just a notion that um, robots, uh, affect jobs or take jobs, and there's this negative reaction. Uh, before I, I came to SRI, I was actually introducing a robot uh, for um, stroke therapy. It was it was to help people recovering from stroke to be able to get more um, function from their from their arms, specifically focused on the arms. And and the therapist would always be like, "Oh, you're going to replace me with a robot." And and really, the, the, the my answer to that is is that. Um, in order for somebody to recover from a stroke, they need thousands and thousands of repetitions of an, of an engaged kind of therapy, which therapists absolutely know how to do, but the current landscape doesn't allow them to provide the volume of therapy focused on the arm in order for uh, someone to recover. So, you know, that to me is a good example of how the robot is not replacing um, the individual, but the robot, the individual and the robot together are now creating an augmented outcome. And, and so that, that's consistent with what uh, Charlie was saying. And um, if, if you look at where the robots and Foxconn are going to go and, and where the robots, the, the sort of wave of, of um, companies in the U.S. that are looking at robots in, and Baxter's fits in this case in light manufacturing tasks, the idea is to allow uh, a, a worker with a robot to be more productive than just the worker by themselves. And, and not just productive in terms of doing, you know, 50 units when they used to do 10 units, but also more productive in terms of quality outcomes that they can get, uh, being able to capture information or being able to guarantee a certain performance uh, on the line at the same time. And, and one of the things that 
that is uh, happening for the U.S. right now is that if you look at the, the productivity in the U.S. compared to other countries over the last uh, several decades has been increasing dramatically. And so our individual workforce productivity is very high. And now if you start to add robots to the mix that not only, you know, our, our, the U.S. becomes a really a preferred um, manufacturing site because of the combination of these new efficiencies with robotics and, and adding to the, to the productivity. So I generally, uh, when I look at how robots are affecting the U.S., and, you know, we're, if we're bringing manufacturing here, that I, then I realize that other countries are being affected uh, negatively. But really for the U.S., the, there's a big opportunity for the, the emerging um, application of robotics to reinvigorate manufacturing um, where there's many more manufacturing facilities that are, that are uh, um, operating domestically. And, and, I, and I'll tell you, I know from just being in this um, field that, Many, many companies in the U.S. are, are exploring uh, more local manufacturing. And, and in addition to the, these efficiency advantages, there's just the advantage of having your manufacturing close to you and, and um, you're, you're able to be more innovative. You're able to engage and make changes uh, more quickly than trying to manage a manufacturing facility that's uh, 10,000 miles away. Mm, so, Charlie, there's no doubt that robots um, are taking over some of our tasks, right? So what new skills do you think humans will end up specializing in? Well, it's, um, you know, it's interesting. The, um, it, it's really much bigger than robots. It's, as Rich said, it's computer-based technology replacing jobs. And, um, I mean, it's been going on since the, in the agriculture business with the cotton gin and tractors and in the industrial revolution it's just getting more output per human um, which raises uh, which is obviously a productivity measure which frankly raises the standard of living it reduces the cost of uh, product being produced or food being farmed so um, it's it's um, it, it's happening across the board and, and robotics are just a part of that and when I look at it from a and I'm more of a manufacturing and logistics uh, or uh, background person. So when I look at it from that perspective, um, they're going to be replacing the mundane jobs, uh, but they still are going to require people to program the robots. They're going to require people to move them from station to station. They're going to require people to move side by side with them and do the tasks, or I should say work side by side with them and do the tasks that require human intellect. And I know we've been talking about artificial uh, intelligence here and, and, and all these new technologies, but um, you know, as, as, as high as I am on robotics, I'm very conservative as far as that, a lot of that technology entering on the factory floor in the near term. You know, I think there are many, many applications that can, be, uh, that can utilize robotics technology today now that we've lowered the costs, we've lowered the uh, implementation costs, and we're able to work side by side. So... Um, I think the trades um, can gain from more robot implementation. There's going to be a lot of uh, uh, millwright jobs, electrician jobs um, that are get generated by the virtue of putting in new plants in the United States or whatever um, um, region of the world we're talking about. And uh, these aren't four-year degree um, uh, type of uh, professions. You know, trade schools, two-year colleges, I think there's a, a lot of... Um, of, of career opportunities that, frankly, are generated by virtue of using automation and by virtue of building advanced manufacturing plants. So um, 
Um, again, as I mentioned earlier, there's a direct correlation between investments in robotics and growth in manufacturing jobs, and I just see that continuing. All right, let's talk some more after another break. For more information about the show, please go to bizreinvention.com. We'll be back in two minutes. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network in today's marketplace your ability to open up the way you think and adapt to change allows your business to stay ahead of curve and perform at a higher level at change agent sf we can provide you with the tools and coaching to become an effective leader to grow your business Contact us today at 415-322-9073 or email Nancy Lynn at info at changeagentsf.com for more information. Transform your leadership and business with Change Agent SF. Does money drive you or does it serve you? When you listen to money in your life, you'll discover the answer to that question. Tune in as hosts Brian Farr and Ann Hutchins bring you thought-provoking discussions designed to help you understand and assess exactly how money operates in your life. Take control of your personal finances. Money in Your Life is broadcast live every Friday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Make your money work for you. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Business Reinvention with Nancy Lynn. To join in on this week's discussion, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to Business Reinvention. So we've been talking about the new developments in the robotics industry. Um, Rich, um, if you look at the statistics right now, uh, we'll see that automotive industry is still the leader in this area and accounts for probably more than 60% of the sales, if I'm correct. Um, so with the new developments, do you think it is helping the industry to penetrate new markets? And do you see a day when service industry will actually overtake the manufacturing sector to be the main user of robots? Yeah, and actually, if you just look at raw unit sales, it's already happened. So the, if you, I mean, and Charlie will know these numbers better than I do, but the, the install base of industrial robots is, is only in the sort of $1.5 million uh, level, or 1.5 million units level, uh, worldwide, where the, just the, the Roomba vacuum cleaning robot is, uh, I think approaching 10 million unit sales and, and growing. So, um, the overall personal service robot marketplace is just dramatically larger by orders of magnitude than, than the industrial uh, applications are. And I'm, I do think that the, there, the, we are, especially with the, demogra- the demographics that are occurring now with the overall aging of the world's population, that the typical uh, pool of individuals from which um, the service industries uh, get their their employment base is just going to be very very small um, relative to the need for taking care of uh, the elderly, um, serving in the military, um, working in restaurants, uh, uh, working in hotels. Uh, there's um, really going to be a gap 
that robotics will be uh, very well positioned to fill. Unfortunately, like you said, the robots are getting smaller and, and they're better at, I guess, working in the service industry. But Charlie, I want to give you an opportunity to kind of chime in as well. Where do you see the biggest potential growth for robotics industry in terms of um, sectors? I think it's in the, uh, again, I tend to look more at manufacturing and material handling and logistics, but I, I believe the logistics market is a huge growth opportunity. I heard a statistic that someone said if you look at a pack of potato chips, at, at a Safeway store that oh, uh, 60, 70% of the cost of that was just logistics, not making the chips and packaging, but logistics. And so now we have this new paradigm where the consumer is skipping the retail outlet and the manufacturer uh, needs to provide product to these new fulfillment centers. Um, Amazon built 11 new fulfillment centers alone in um, 2011, and they're building more, and they're only 4% of that Internet commerce market. So there's a huge growth opportunity here. And, in fact, Forbes magazine said they, they predict that there will be more robots after products are manufactured in logistics than in the robots used to manufacture the products. So I, I believe that. And we talked earlier about uh, case handling and each, each picking. I think um, that uh, those are big, big opportunities. And um, it's, um, it's, it's very encouraging to see, as Rich said, uh, these fulfillment centers, just like factories, are moving to the populated high-cost regions because, you know, they want to deliver product within 24 hours. And so um, I think that bodes well for the cost savings of using automation and saving floor space, et cetera, et cetera. So if, um, as you can see, I'm very, very high on logistics. Mm. Well, we only have a few minutes left, um, but I want to go back to what I talked about at the beginning of the show, and that was the prediction by the Google scientist that the biological parts of human body will be replaced by machines. Um, I mean, how realistic is that? And I'm curious about your own prediction of what will happen um, with robotics um, in, I would say, the next 20 years. Um, Rich? Yeah, so I'm, I'm not as um, concerned about robots becoming a part of us. I had somebody ask me once, um, so what can't you automate? What can a robot do? And, and um, after thinking about it for a second, my, my answer was is that a, a robot can't replace my own engagement with the world. And I think that's really what robotics will permit is, is just um, an opportunity for people to engage with the world in a different way. And, and this, I, I talked about the service industry. Um, I think we are just about to see more robot manipulators, of so robots with arms and hands and kind of a um, human form that, that are lower in price. And we're going to see those robots initially serve hotels and restaurants and, um, you know, the, the sort of traditional service industries. But the outcome of that will be robots that are then demonstrated for the kinds of applications that people have been waiting for. It's a robot that can go in the home and cook and clean and just – uh, create a different kind of uh, of a, a level and a quality of life for people. So, I really think, and we're going to see this in in ten to fifteen years. I think it's in in that kind of time frame that we'll see those kinds of applications, and then the ultimate benefit is having robots in the home that really uh, change the quality of life for many people. Mm, Charlie, we have one minute left. Yeah, I think I don't. I, I'm kind of with Rich. I don't see the uh, robot and the human. Uh, uh, brain um, connecting here at any time soon in the in a single form. I, I do believe that the prosthetics industry will continue to
to grow and improve and, and even utilize robotics technology. But I see that more as a smart mechanization. You know, um, companies like iWalk in Boston who are building um, for um, um, uh, for veterans and, and other handicapped uh, people in need, um, basically replacement ankles that uh, can respond to you know sensing and so forth. But uh, that's that's as, as far as I see it going in the you know at least in the foreseeable future. All right. Thank you. With that, I have to wrap up the show, and I want to thank you to both of you um, for such an intriguing uh, discussion today. Thank you. Thank you, Nancy. Thanks, Nancy. Thanks, Charlie. And to the audience, um, thanks again for joining us today. Please follow me on Twitter at BizWeMention for up-to-date innovation news or visit BizWeMention.com for more information about our show. We'll be back next week, and I hope you can join us again. Take care. We hope that you've enjoyed Business Reinvention with Nancy Lynn. Please join us for another edition of our groundbreaking program next Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you'll find the inspiration for change over the coming week.